welcome. It's Wash Me Pod. Uh, we've made it all the way through a year. Uh, thanks for staying with us. This is the, the podcast about game changers in punk, emo, and hardcore. Um, I, as always, am your host, Jim. I'm Hugo. And with us today, again, round two, we've got Kyle and Ellie from the E-Word. Kyle, Ellie, how we doing? Doing all right. It goes. I love it. It goes. And again, boy, does it go. Uh, we are here today to do something that we've wanted to do for a while that everybody always wants to do in these spaces uh, to the point where it almost feels like a truism to do it. But we're doing it. We're talking about title fight. Uh, we are on some pretty uh, important milestones with title fight. It's been it's coming up on 20 years since the band started. Um, they put out floral green a decade ago now. Um, and it's been almost five years since they played a show. So, uh, we want to do our best to, to give title fight, the watch me pod treatment. Uh, and obviously we wanted, uh, people who have spoken on the record about title fight extensively and also who are just great homies to be here and share this sort of year ender moment with us. So we thank you for being here, Kyle and Ellie. Uh, super duper appreciate uh, you going to the time and effort to do this. Before we get into title fight, we want to acknowledge really quickly what an incredible fucking year for music of the punk, emo, and hardcore variety 2022 has been. Truly an insane fucking year. Um, and so we want to go around the horn really quickly and just mention one record that not even that's your favorite, but is that, that you think that the people in the sound of our voice should check out. Uh, Kyle, we'll go, we'll, we'll start with you. Sounds good. Um, I'm going to urge you all to listen to a record by a band called Fuss. The record is called We're Not Alone and fuss uh this is a debut record um i think they played an album release show and that's it um but this is bob from shinobu um he also raps under the name baboso with um chase from choice manor playing guitar and the drummer is like a san pedro guy um who is in a bunch of bands um and he's a part of Mike Watts touring bands and stuff yep. like that. Pedro connection for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, but as soon so, as you said San Pedro, I was like, Mike Watt is. In yeah. This band? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, it's his drummer. Um, but yeah, uh, they put out a full length produced by Jeff Rosenstock. Um, and it's like a quick nine minute uh, full length. Um, really good. Super catchy. Um, Chase. Uh, does his crazy melodic leads the entire time um just yeah just like a very very quick listen extremely catchy um kind of cute as well uh at the same time um but yeah i really really enjoy it uh super catchy and um yeah if you're into the rosenstock universe like it's essential and this came out in january so and i haven't really seen much like talk about it i haven't seen it on like any like year endless or anything like that but it's definitely gonna be like a, it's definitely like a top 10 for me hell yeah ellie 
Um, I uh, thought kind of long and hard about uh, which single record I wanted to shout out, uh, and I decided on uh, Fly in the Trap by the band Spider God. Um, it's uh, a black metal project from uh, the UK. Uh, it's uh, absurdly melodic to the point where I feel like the songs are actually kind of like sneaky pop songs. Like they are like within the pop song structure. They just have like um, uh, the traditional earmarks of black metal instrumentation and aesthetics. Um, but the thing that I found super interesting about this record is that lyrically it's about the Elisa Lamb disappearance. Um, and I feel like you'd expect uh, a record in that vein uh, to, especially in the metal world, to be like a little exploitative. But it just sounds truly inspired by um, those events. Um, and it feels very uh, empathetic and uh, at one with the mystery of, uh, of that event and uh, kind of very in tune with, uh, you know, the sort of emotions and mental struggles that uh, Elisa Lam uh, might have gone through. Um, it's just a very interesting album, and uh, again, it's much much catchier than you might expect. Like from from my description of it, it's uh, super intriguing, super listenable, uh, and uh, very fun. Love it, Hugo. Um, yeah, I. I picked one that I thought would dovetail with this episode and I'm going to pick Squint. They're two EPs they put out this year. I feel like I've been hearing at least lately more and more like sort of stuff that's influenced by drug church, title fight, sort of like shed, last thing and forget era. And I think this sits in the middle. Um, a lot of people who are into this current wave of hardcore where you have that question is this hardcore is it not um it doesn't really matter the, um, the both the eps just fuck they're both like 10 minutes long and um i don't know i feel like anybody who's who's at least semi-interested in punk emo and hardcore can connect with this it's not it's not super harsh it's not super abrasive it's super catchy um yeah and i think this band only has the potential to get bigger if more people catch on. Yep, and we gotta love we gotta love a more marginal because they're from St. Louis. We gotta love a more marginal Midwestern city getting some getting whatever hype. Uh, Midwest hardcore needs more representation, so any band that can bring that is good. I feel like yeah, we we obviously have a lively conversation in twenty twenty two about like the concept of you know hardcore adjacent music or you know adjacent as the X grind fellows call it. I think squint is like as as adjacent as something can get while still being proper hardcore or maybe like as as hardcore as something can get while still being adjacent right they're right on that tipping point um it's fucking awesome yeah if you like drug church particularly um pre-cheer drug church definitely squint is the way to go um and just worth checking out anyway uh, that's one that i can really I've listened to a lot, so I can really vouch for. On my end, I'm going to go to something that I think I might have mentioned in passing at some point, but an album that is really sort of 11th hour grabbed me by the uh, by the what have yous is uh, the self-titled record by a project called Plosives. Now, Plosives is essentially hot snakes 
with Rob Crow from Pinback on vocals. Mm. And yeah. it's fucking awesome. <laughs> like it lit and it literally just sounds like what you would expect the intersection of those things to sound like. Right. So it's like, it's got the, you know, NASCAR adjacent riffing of, of hot snakes, but there are also like these really sugary scintillating melodies that like Rob Crow just brings into whatever he's doing. And um, it has the really equally kind of saccharine uh, Rob Crow style of vocals. And the entire thing just like feels, it has the sort of like the same, it doesn't sound like Bob Mould music, but it has the same sort of like tidal wave of Gatorade feeling that mm. like does um, or like later do. And so I, I really appreciate I really appreciate it. And it's like, it's a really upbeat feel good record that I, I can't put down. And that's like a lot of the other stuff that I've listened to this year uh, is pretty aggressive and challenging. So uh, nice to sort of have it as a, as an 11th hour palate cleanse. Um, that being said, we're going to get right into it and start talking about title fight. Um, the, we're going to save you a lot of the high level wiki read elements uh, of this because <laughs> we know about title fight motherfuckers uh kingston pennsylvania 2003 three studio records extensive other discography sort of sprinkled across a series of splits and eps some of which is compiled as an addendum to their initial ep uh that really broke out last thing you for last thing you forget um formed in the the cauldron of good music that is eastern pennsylvania specifically the wilkes-barre area kingston is a little town that's just across the river from wilkes-barre wonderful little place um jamie roden ned russen who is little brother of alex russen from cold world uh shane moran and ben russen shane was added on uh a little bit down the line after the band initially formed these band, these guys were really fucking young when they started this band. They were like literally 12 year olds when they, when they started the band. Um, again, they put out, you know, a series of initial releases, a series of demos, and then just sort of gradually worked their way across, um, across, you know, a series of endeavors that got their name out there. And then once they all got out of high school, in 0809 started just aggressively touring and got their name in everybody's mouth and that was i think it was mid 2010 when i caught on to them and they really just they took the punk pop punk emo and hardcore world by storm they really are the perfect band for us to be talking about on this podcast because they really do encompass the intersection of those various things better than any other band in recent history at least or maybe ever um put out a series of records that became increasingly you know polished and pop sensible uh got i think onto some really they were on the precipice of some pretty serious like could have probably done bigger things if they had wanted to um toured a lot I got to see them a lot because of I'm older and they were really ubiquitous for a little bit. So I'm lucky enough to have gotten to see them, you know, fucking 
close to 10 times. Um, and then they just kind of fizzled out. And now they're uh, probably never going to play a show again. If, if I think if the anecdotals around them um, are any indication. Uh, that's my version of the Wikipedia read. Now we're going to go around the horn and have people sprinkle in other high level lore before we get into the actual talking about the discography portion. Yeah. Um, can I just ask like, what is like, what are those anecdotal references that you were talking about them not coming back? Cause like, like, yeah, because, because I feel like, um, Ned will talk to people about title flight at shows. Yeah. You know, I think that I, I had heard again, and I don't, I don't know how substantiated this is. This is hearsay, uh, ostensibly, but I heard that they got offered like $60,000 to play a reunion show in Wilkes-Barre and they said, no, I don't know. That seems to be a strong indication that ain't shit going to be happening, but but this whole world is never say never. Right. Like I've seen so many bands, even in the last five years that I never thought would get back together in my lifetime. So I, I, I'm very much still holding out hope. Yeah. I feel like it's too soon too. four years. Yeah. Yep. We're yeah. like, like Algernon said no for years. And then the time was right. I feel like as people get older, the urge to hang out with your friends yes. and play exactly. music becomes stronger. <laughs> I also think that title fight is the kind of band that, would not come back for any monetary offer but if there was a benefit um or some sort of uh charitable cause that would like really get a boost from title fights involvement uh i i think that would be a a much better bet for 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 bringing them back yeah right just because like yeah like that that benefit that just happened in north carolina uh, for that fellow that passed away, like a whole bunch of the Christ core bands that people never fucking thought would get back together. Got back yeah, prayer together. for cleansing. Holy shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, specifically because this guy requested in his last will and testament that there be a, there be a show uh, with these bands after he died. So something like that. I agree. I agree. I think that's like, that's one of the more likely circumstances under which they would actually get together. I mean, for fuck's sake, they did a, they, they did a merch drop um, around the, you know, George Floyd. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I have the hoodie from it. It's my favorite piece of merch I've ever owned. Um, so stuff like that. Um, I think that you're right. They're very much in that bag, which is a good thing. Dude, I bet someone's going to fake their death. Oh, <laughs> I would be so fucking lit. It'd, it'd be the most based thing ever. Fake, fake I know. Your death in order to get title fight back together. I mean, you, you might've really just, you might've really just like, uh, given me a new purpose in this life. <laughs> I, I want to meet the person who fakes their death to get title fight back together to bring the E word back. <laughs> I, mean, I want to meet the person whose end goal is, is that, um, yeah, I think that person is more likely to want LP four by the hotel year the title fight reunion oh that's true that's true um yeah going by our our spotify listeners yeah um that person's gonna fake their death to get 100 gex to play their bedroom (laughs) all good things why not all three yeah um but no uh 
I let's the 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 lion's share of this episode I feel like is gonna end up being us talking about you know the significance and cultural impact and the sort of loose ends of title fight so before we like get into that meat and potatoes uh let's talk about the fucking discography for a little bit because I do think it is like fun uh, a fun discography to go through chronologically for reasons that will become apparent to us um this was let's just fucking let's just get into it this is, do we have any objections um i didn't know about the demo until this this project came up yeah me neither, me neither. which demo okay yeah because apparently there's like a demo one and double two according there's, to there's three demos. Uh, there's there's uh there's four yeah, there's, there's uh, yeah, there's the 2003 demo, which has a title that I can't remember right now. Uh, and then there's the 2004 demo, and then there are two different 2005 demos. Yeah. And then there's a single that they did in 06. Um, and then there's uh, an acoustic uh, release that people think is Title Fight, but it's actually like kind of this project uh, split between uh, Ned Russin and uh one of the dudes from from nothing um and then after that you get into the stuff that starts being collected on the last thing you forget so uh title fight proper as it were title fight proper yeah these demos are fucking interesting like i uh (laughs) i didn't uh i didn't know what to expect at all um the o3 demo is rough but also (laughs) not really because it's like these were literally 12 year old children yeah Yeah, that's it's ridiculous yeah i think it just sounds it just sounds bad is all is like if it was if it had the right production i think it would have sounded as good as like that o5 demo that's on youtube i mean it it's it's crazy how much it sounds like the get up kids so much Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like i kind of thought like these demos as like rough as some of them sound they're considering the timeline that they came out in kind of at uh, like ahead of its time at the same time mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah i mean yeah already doing a really sophisticated like mash uh, mishmash of pop punk and emo uh like like you said that first 03 demo sounds a whole lot like blink also sounds a whole lot like get up kids um for me the the progression across the four demos the the rate at which they progress over the course of three years is completely fucking insane mm-hmm. there's a there's a moment on i think the o4 demo where uh there's like a they do a breakdown and yeah. it's not like an easy core breakdown um and it's not like a like a proto sort of like newfound glory type breakdown uh, it's just like this like really tight melding of pop punk and hardcore aesthetics. And I was like, that's it. That's like where they figured it out. Um, and yeah. they needed to like polish it. But that was like where the embryo became clear. Yeah, that was the moment that, that jumped out at me. Um, the 05 demo like is already like it's still a little bit unpolished from like a production and execution perspective but it's 
you can tell by the 05 demos, especially the second one, that it's all there already. Like, mm-hmm. I was listening to those and I was like, man, it's so fucking crazy that a group of 15 year olds made a better set of songs than 99% of musicians are ever going to make in their lives. <laughs> like, yeah, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, the the light up the eyes single that came out in 06 um i think that i just wanted to like bring that up real quick only because despite like it not being compiled on any official release or being on any streaming service they were still playing songs like the like those two songs like at random shows as late as like 2016 yep i remember i think it was actually a show I forget what show it was, but they played one of them at one of the shows that I saw. Um, it was crazy. I was like, I've never heard this song before. What the fuck is this? And sure enough, it's just because I just did, I haven't dive, I didn't dive deep enough. And uh, yeah, I, I I think that was always like kind of a special quality of Title Fights live shows is that they uh, kind of rewarded uh, that that sort of patience without feeling like they we're playing exclusively to that audience. Yeah, it's a fact. Um, now where things obviously get really, um, get really properly what people know as title fight um, is with Western haikus, which Ellie, you're a much better sleuther. You're all much better sleuthers than me. Do we know where Western haikus can be found? like in, in its original form because i'm like i i've been able to locate like everything else that's in the on the ass end of last thing you forget is on either kingston or the erection kit split but where did western haikus come from um uh let me see if i can sleuth that right now <laughs> i mean i, I could just as easily do it I, I figured if it was like if it was something that you had in the holster <laughs> Um, oh absolutely not uh no i i i was i was trying my very hardest to um sort of just experience like yeah fight this time around without trying to dive as much into the lore yeah Um, i think uh because you can tell like on the different uh production wise than everything else uh, um my best guess is that it was pre-existing um yeah. when they were when they were together uh last thing you forget uh and it sounds very much 2007 era yeah. um but i don't think it was ever on any official release um maybe it was on a random like pennsylvania compilation i don't know <laughs> yeah but uh you we we then have um the 2007 material which is on there split with the erection kids really funny really funny very 2007 looking uh cover yeah cover and very just erection kids uh i mean they're still in fucking high school they're halfway through high school and they made this shit so like cool right amazing um, what did we? What did we? What do we think about these these extremely popular and decorated uh, songs, which proudly adorned the set lists of Title Fight? 
I mean, these 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 songs whip ass, man. Like uh, Room Two Hundred uh, and uh, Your I Ah or Your Yeah, which is how I always pronounced it, um, are just like great little like kind of like 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 bite size sort of uh, descended from Lifetime. I feel uh-huh. like sort of tracks, and uh-huh. then you have. Songs like Evander and Anaconda Sniper, which are like, I I was like listening to those. I I listened to those two songs yesterday, and I was like, I can't think of any band of this era aside from the Wonder Years and for exactly one album, Man Overboard, who wrote hooks like that good. Daggermouth gets there at points. But uh, I don't think of Daggermouth as that era. I, sure. I guess I think of them as like right before the true pop punk thing. Yeah, um, yeah, that that's true. They were like, I guess Turf Wars was 07. So they were sort of like on that cusp. But yeah. Yeah, I think Stallone was like, yeah, Stallone was 09, maybe 11. But um, they were kind of they had kind of dissolved by the time that's the scene that I, I think were sort of dipping our 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 our, uh toes into discussing was ascending yeah 100 percent. they were like in weird sort of like adjacent godfather territory to it yeah um great band though yeah 100 percent. fucking awesome um i'm with you room 200 and uriah are my two favorite tracks from this era because of how lifetimey they are and like i just am forever drawn to that shit kyle hugo I, I, the song I latched on to the most was actually Neck Deep. I don't know what it is, but that one I would, I it would is a great play, song. I would play, I'd play a lot. Um, obviously, Room, Room two, 200 just being like just a burner, but um, yeah, like I, I probably have the least familiarity with title fights. So, like, basically, this era, like, that's of last thing you forget, like, basically pre-shed i was just like surprised that it has no business being this good um and i just didn't i i'm the farthest thing from ahead so i was just mostly like i was mostly shocked that it was as good as it is i i'm literally such a title fight head that it is i have zero frame of reference uh for anybody not being able to be one it's the craziest most incomprehensible yeah. thing to me that anybody can not be as steeped in title fights. Yeah. But it's I've cool. said this it's before, cool. like I I didn't listen to punk music in high school from yeah. like 08 to 12, which is when this was happening. Yeah. So like by the time I'm getting into title fight, they're already like it's already like floral green and hyperview. Mm-hmm. And like I'm I'm listening to more Midwest emo stuff and not necessarily stuff that I see as a mesh right. in like the hardcore scene or something. Um, I think that so. your your relationship with title fight is much more analog to like a lot of the sort of Chad title fight enjoyers in Gen Z, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, a, I think a prevailing demographic of the kind of people who, you know, want to see them because their chances are they never got to see them. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that you latched onto Neck Deep, which is a great song. It, is, it does have a great hook. Uh, my favorite tidbit is that the band Neck Deep is not named after that song. Uh, really? I think they're named after like a, they're named after a Crucial Dudes lyric. Yep, they're named um, after oh, a Crucial Dudes lyric, which is that's crazy. even cooler. 
that is way cooler. Yeah, it almost makes me like them. Um, uh, Gold Weight. Uh, that was a song I wanted to talk about uh, because we were listening to it in the car last night and we were like, listen to the lyrics and Dino's like, this song's fucking intense. Like, he hates this guy. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking wild. <laughs> like, it's a lot. It's they, those are those are hardcore lyrics. Like are. that's a Cold World song uh, on top of a Blink song. Yeah, no, that's a really really good point. And like the the specifically the Russin of it all, right? The the growing up with with Alex and you know just mm-hmm. being that ecosystem of the the most brass knuckled hardcore, some of the most brass knuckled hardcore in history, um, and having that be you know hemmed up into making some of the most fucking pop punkiest shit ever it's just the one the wonderful intersection that i always want to seek out because of how genuine and organic it is uh yeah i love it um and obviously so this happens you know all this stuff happens over the course of you know just a couple years we have the kingston ep which is memorial field loud and clear in uriah we already kind of talked a little bit about Uriah. Um, the for me, the the jumps continue to happen pretty steeply because like Memorial Field and Loud and Clear for me are like they're in a complete fucking league of their own, like relative yeah. to stuff that came before. Uriah, yeah. we're in two hundred sort of same breath type stuff, but those are these these other two like. I think Memorial Field is the song that I heard when I on my first listen through last thing where I was like, oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where they become the band that they are on Shed and Floral Green. Absolutely. Well, and it is also like, I mean, Memorial Field is such a like Title Fight has never been an easy core band per se, but <laughs> they have like Memorial Field is such a fucking master class in everything that's good about easy core oh my, yeah 100 which is so fun yeah. like i love i love when bands do the easy one of the reasons i love Daggermouth so much is i love when bands do the easy core thing without all the fucking epic bacon uh elements that end up <laughs> being fucking easy core you know like yeah I think the only the only easy core record that like indulged fully in that uh sort of ready to be vibe without becoming bad is rise or die trying um but uh well i guess do do you consider mutiny to be like a ready record i guess maybe when they they have that like a an old book misread yeah um, but it's sort of like reddit atheist but i don't care because fucking mutiny's absolute gas i fucking love. yeah it's phenomenal it's a phenomenal album so like i don't and I also really like the follow-up record too. I'm a kind of like I like set your goals a lot. So, um, oh yeah, I I think they're super underrated now. Um, I like set your goals paces more than four years strong. That might be a hot take, but um, but yeah, uh, thoughts on thoughts on the Kingston material, uh, Hugo and Kyle. I mean, Kyle first. I, I I think for where I can enter is basically by the time they put out symmetry and introvert like yeah. like the songs from what we know as the last thing you forget like that's where i come in yeah um and like as soon as i heard symmetry for the first time which i think my introduction was like my brother saw them on like a bayside or a newfound glory tour 
could be a co-headline thing with those two bands. It was some combination of one of those bands in Title Fight. And my brother was like, oh yeah, this band played and people were like climbing on each other the whole time. I was like, okay, I'll check this out. And like, as soon as I heard what was like available to download or whatever, which would be like the full, or no, not the full EP. Cause that was like a run for cover CD is when they yeah. combined it all or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like basically all it took was symmetry for me to be like, okay, this is insane. This breakdown is great. This hook is insane. I can't uh, imagine who wouldn't come on board with symmetry. Yeah. Yeah. It's symmetry might be the most, I think in a lot of ways, symmetry might still be the most perfect song in their fucking discography. Like as far as songcraft is concerned, like the breakdown, the, the mosh part is one of the best mosh parts in any fucking song ever. Even like, like the first 15 yeah. seconds of that song are like insane. Right. Yep. Like, the, like the ho- more more ideas than most bands have in an entire song. Yeah, I think the way that uh, Ned pitches his screams in the hook, uh, sort of single-handedly informed um, pretty much an entire uh, generation of hardcore pop punk emo adjacent bands. Like that is essentially um, like the our scene equivalent to uh sort of what chester bennington did in the early 2000s 100 fucking percent i've I've never heard anybody put it into that like specific of words but that's you're completely right like that's that's exact i love it so this whole time leading up to the last thing you forget like they were kind of i mean like they toured or played regionally like a shit ton but like they're making a lot of noise online and i believe it was like the absolute punk forums Mm. and stuff like that right is that accurate i think i think that that's i think that that's that's the lore that i understand it like and i'm not deeply familiar with like their their goings on um prior to just like immediately starting to tour the world as soon as they got out of high school but yeah. I would imagine that in order to make that happen for themselves, they were probably pretty online fellas. I would imagine it was a lot of like, um, and this is a thing that maybe uh, the kids don't remember. I think Axe to Grime might have made an episode about it, but like local message boards, like local oh, right. hardcore forums. Um, I think that that was like a lot of where the kind of early wellspring of title fight support was. Um and it should be mentioned I that do... like, Tiger's Jaw are also local to them, basically, yes. right? Uh, Scranton, I think, is where yeah, uh, Tiger's Jaw is. Uh, and uh, Pennsylvania is like so small that, um, you know, I, I can't I can't imagine that it was uh, difficult for for those bands to be homies. Um, I, I, I would say the first time that I remember like seeing people online talk about them is probably going to be absolute punk and um may maybe like uh late era cross my heart with a knife yeah that makes that makes a, a shit ton of sense um we're getting all kinds of lore about the way the internet used to be and i think it's very uh it's very cool to think that things have progressed as much as they have in such a short amount of time um, yeah now there's only four websites 
Exactly. Four, the <laughs> very, internet, very internet old. lives on four fucking websites. It's beautiful. Um, no, so that's that puts a kind of a bow on um, the whole last thing you forget era. Uh, this was the it was right after last thing you forget came out that I discovered them. It was 2010. I was uh, fresh out of college and an absolute wreck of a human being and an absolute piece of shit. And this music just spoke to me in such a deep, deep way. Um, it was great. Uh, Halcyon times. Um, and what came next, what felt like pretty immediately given the just chaos of the timeline for me personally was shed from 2011 um so let's talk about let's talk about shed ellie i'm gonna let you go first <laughs> yeah i i'm having a, a hard time uh even articulating like how 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 dearly i hold shed to myself like the esteem in which i hold shed primarily because uh i kind of came to this record um and listened to it the most uh during an an era like the direct aftermath of of uh losing a family member and uh the song 27 in particular just uh kind of struck a chord within me that i think very few other songs have maybe ever um and uh, I still think of this this album as kind of the uh, a a really beautiful meditation on grief, even though I'm not sure how grief stricken the album even really is on a on a lyrical level. Uh, but it just feels uh, wounded and raw and comforting uh, in a really special way, and in a way that. Uh, I think spoke to a lot of people um, without uh, sort of it's, it was, it was welcoming and inviting uh, without really shedding any of that uh, spike and bite. Well, and you're, you're, uh, you're dancing around a thing that title fight did pretty universally, which I think is really important is they're, they're taking topics that are important and relatable uh, and putting them out there in the open and inviting people to these subjects like a party because the music is so jovial and so cathartic yeah. and so big that they're able to take, uh, you know, dark topics and dress them in a way that, you know, that, that seems more approachable to people and is, is sort of disarming to people, I think, and brings uh, them to the table. And I think that that's a really special thing at like a, at like a discourse and message level that yeah. can really, really move the needle by doing. And I think that the, you might've just really nailed one of the things that like at a lyrics level and the way that lyrics interact with culture, the title fight really outkicked their coverage on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, Let's hear. Let's hear the before I fucking fire hose everybody about shed. Uh, let's uh, let's hear the rest of the let's hear the rest of the room. Kyle, any anything from you? Um. Yeah. I I I think upon this, like preparing for this podcast, I don't think I really had a favorite title fight record, but now I do, and I think I can confidently say that it's shed. 
Um, Good. <laughs> and like, that's no like easy. Uh, that was no easy conclusion to come to because all their albums are very good for their own reasons. But um, yeah, I remember getting this album. I got it in advance of it through college radio and be like, okay, damn, side one dummy. All right. Cause I wasn't like following the band closely. I didn't like know what was going on with them, but um, yeah, I just saw like side one dummy. And then um, yeah, I was blown away by like how much, um by how much they really captured the momentum of everything before um and going into this and like um this album is like so fucking good <laughs> like I, I don't know like it's not like it's it is it 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 just sounds mature it sounds smart like the lyrics are just like are just dense but and they're mm-hmm. also just not spoon fed, um, and just like I don't know, just watching so many live videos of them because that's the awesome thing about like title flights. Like there's so many live videos from each era of them, and um, yeah, I like I think like the songs from this album go over the like the most um, in their live sets, and like I don't know, I don't know how fucking uh, Ned does it like in terms of like playing not just easy bass lines and also like screaming his head off like he's just beast mode and having like really crazy stage presence and yeah constantly getting just like absolutely decimated by stage divers like watching title fight shows is a pretty universally fucking fun experience because of like their shows were unmitigated stage dive chaos in a way few other things I've ever seen are like it, like their shows had huge, like no justice show vibes at points. Yes. Right? Yeah. On stage activity. There was like, it's crazy, man. I think dense is a perfect way to describe the lyrics on this record, because in a lot of ways, they're very sparse. Um, right. And spare. Uh, right. But it's, it's there. They are packed with meaning in the way that a lot of the best poetry is. Uh, yeah. Just- able to express a lot with a little um and sort of the way that the i feel like the instrumentals on this album carry uh a lot of lyrical weight in and of themselves yeah so i like i i remember when i first got into this album like my favorite song was you can't say kingston doesn't love you and i don't know if that's still my favorite title fight song by any means but like I feel like that's kind of a deep cut that I've seen like a couple of like opinions kind of match up with that recently. Um, but like, I just really like how like weird that song is like song structure wise. Like it doesn't really have a chorus. It has like a catchy guitar lead instead of a chorus. I don't know. I don't know why I've like, uh, it's, it's just really, like, like enthused. Right. <laughs> um, that's, that's my favorite. That's my favorite song on the record. Is nice. The Kingston doesn't love you, like, and I believe for your health covered it. Yes. Yeah. Fucking yeah. Rocks. Love it. Hugo. Uh, yeah. I think going into this, this was my favorite title fight record, and I'm still, I'm still not sure after spending more time with Floral Green, but um, I but I I feel like that. That opening guitar from 27 has been stolen like a million times. 
and mm. sure has <laughs> for like a certain flavor of post hardcore it's like it's not quite a power chord it's like a little it's like a little more moody it's it is this generations if it's here when we get back it's ours like yeah yes yeah. uh i was gonna say it's the post hardcore um where is my mind oh totally <laughs> yeah um and and cox like i the opening lyric to coxton yard i think of a lot essentially being 19 and being over it essentially mm-hmm. um and it's still it still connects even at my dusty age of 29 where i'm like i remember i remember being that person when american football meant made sense to me and everything sucked um everything still sucks but i but it really some something about that line really go goes for me a lot um yeah i yeah i don't have much else except that this this album rocks and i think i think this is where you start to get the inklings of what title fight's going to do next with some of those slower more moody tracks too which is which is always a good thing to put a pin in for title fight yeah the songs like crescent shaped depression and mm-hmm. where am i yeah. yeah um real quick before because i want jim to feel unburdened when they uh unleash um I just remembered, uh, I think we forgot to talk about something that I remembered being kind of significant in Title Fight's development and the spread of their popularity uh, and kind of cementing where they were in the scene, which is they had the closing track on America's Hardcore yep. Yep. Uh, compilation yep. in 2010 with Dreamcatchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that... Uh, is one of the best compilations of all time that also has the best version of the best power trip song hammer of doubt um and i i feel like it's crazy how well they fit in um sort of culturally uh while sonically uh being like just completely on an on another level in terms of like accessibility and hook craft uh not necessarily in songwriting because there's some fucking phenomenal songwriters on that on that comp, but you 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 know what I mean. Um, and Dreamcatchers is just great. Uh, I believe they later uh, issued a Dreamcatchers single, uh, maybe a different mix of it with uh, "Missing" or "Missed" as the yep. B side. Um, and that that song is also really good. Uh, not as good as Dreamcatchers, but Dreamcatchers is pretty phenomenal. I feel um, like Dream Dreamcatchers is like. It's actually kind of like that song's actually kind of a good elevator pitch for like pre floral green title fight. Like yes. Um like there's there there are a few songs that sort of sum up the vibe of title fight prior to floral green better than that that song. Yeah. It's also a song where like you listen to it and you're like, "Oh, Walt, Walt Trifle should produce their record." Uh-huh. And then yeah. he did. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing worth pointing out about Shed uh, is that it was produced by fucking none other than Walt Trifles. Um, who can one of the best hardcore songwriters of all time? Uh huh. Yeah, Walter uh, of Quicksand, uh, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Judge, um, Rival Schools, Rival Schools, most importantly, Rival Schools. And what um, else was producing stuff. I think he did like a Hot Water Music 
my favorite yep. hot water music record no division uh the best hot water music record <laughs> it was done by walter Schreffel mm. as a guest vocal spot from him yeah that's i i got that hot take in there uh that's that's that can be we'll do we'll do a hot water music podcast we don't have time yeah exactly <laughs> we'll do a hot water episode down the line um for sure um with this same cast of characters cool 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 um shed changed my life shed happened to me at a really important time in my life where i was coming to grips with a lot of things including adulthood and alcoholism um and heartbreak and shed was the perfect was the perfect uh bow to tie that all together i made some of the most important decisions in my life to the backdrop of shed including moving to chicago and going to grad school um it's an incredibly important record to me and it still remains a record that I go back to when I want to meditate on the heaviness of life. Um, for many, many seasons of my life was my favorite, um, favorite title fight record. There will probably be seasons of my life where it is again. It is for me a perfect emo record in that it is a record that can put me, can sort of transport me to a place of profound and sublime sadness in a way that few other records can. That while like being in the very specific vibe of sadness that I enjoy, which is like sad, but hopeful because like there is such a sonic hopefulness to the record uh, in spite of like it being lyrically so morose. Um, and I think that, from a lot of from a lot of angles it's like a pretty perfectly executed emo record uh the, the in particular relative to like there there's all kinds of things that can be said about like which title fight record is the best yada yada shed is unambiguously their best emo record i think i don't know yeah. e-word if e-word kids have a have a fucking take on that I mean, it's exactly emo in the sense that it is a mode of hardcore. Yes, yeah, um, 100%. And it is uh, like you were like you were driving at uh, perfectly melancholy. Yeah. Um, it has that crispness in the production, um, sort of like that like late autumn air sort of feeling in it, um, and it just sort of feels like sitting on the porch, uh, sipping on Monster, thinking about life. Um. Wow! A, you just summed up my entire existence, Ellie. Fucking a. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Cool. Um. Perfect record. Yeah. I have to. I have to pee. I'll be back. <laughs> Don't stop talking. Rock and roll. Um. Let's go ahead, and I'll I'll do a little preamble about floral green because uh, I was coming off the end of a. Uh, being the, the biggest shed cell uh, of all time, just being really shed pilled for the better part of a year um, and was coming out of sort of the, the bright, the brighter end of that season had figured some things out and was sort of like entering a period of, of whimsy and levity uh, where I was universally in a pretty good spot in terms of my like career and personal life and floral green dropped. And uh, I remember it was the moment when all of my uh, kind of more civilian friends started hitting me up being like, you hear this new title fight record, bro. This shit is good. I was like, yeah, motherfucker. I've been trying to tell you about title fight for two years. So uh, welcome. Welcome to the fold. Thank you for being on board. 
but I remember when they dropped head in the ceiling fan, like, I don't know, maybe six weeks ahead of the, uh, the record dropping, I was me and everybody else was kind of like, Oh shit. They're leaning all the way the fuck in on, um, on this whole crescent shaped depression. Where am I vibe from the, from this last record. And, uh, I think that there were a decent number of people who heard who heard that single and got big mad, right? But I think that was re- releasing that as the leading single on the record was I think the the, the boldest, ballsiest thing that they could do in terms of like agenda setting because then they were able to clear the way for, you know, this album to contain that vibe, but then also contain all of the absolute like post-hardcore post-grunge fucking mastery that that the that the album does does contain um floral green is my favorite title fight record uh and i don't think at this point it's close this exercise particularly just sort of this year leading up to this exercise has like firmly cemented it as such for me it is just it is the title fight record that i in good weather and bad go back to and i think that it hangs together and and plays itself out in such a perfect fucking flawless way i think it is like it is paced just right i think it comes in with you know it comes in with a set of bangers gets loose and plaintive in the middle and then goes out with a fucking set of bangers like the uh frown callous lefty is my favorite run of three songs on any record ever uh, i'm gonna shut up now because i could literally gush about this record for an entire work day if you let me so i'm gonna hand it over to hugo oh okay yeah. i was gonna ask what is it about floral green compared to shed that like that puts it over for you before i go in i was kind of oh yeah no it the whole thing i'm always gonna like an album that feels a little bit more concise uh and i don't know what it is about floral green it could even just be the short the one shorter track count on it but like there is just something about and i think it's kind of like how mid-tempo and four on the floor a lot of the songs are too like there's just something about the record that just feels snappy and concise and just like like with the chest that i don't get on as much on any of the other records and that's what puts it over for me so it's like an entirely uncanny valley reason like there aren't there aren't any writerly critical reasons for why i like this record more than any other thing but that's it's it's a vibe i guess i was sort of thinking like oh it's this this one kind of sounds like they had an objective on what they want to do on this album but then i think about it, it's like i think every album that they did sort of had that mm-hmm. yeah yeah but um, you go back to you um, yeah, yeah, I, I think what you said in terms of the mid ness of it, I didn't really pick out until reading Andrew Sacker did like a 10 year anniversary piece for Brooklyn Vegan and kind of say, saying that like, these have a little less of the punk beat that was kind of on shed, which I never really, really picked out. Um, yeah, this is the first time I really like did a deep listening because for a while I was like all I really need is shed. Floral Green has 
has some songs. Um, but yeah, it's it's good and like another sort of step forward in the evolution of title fight and um and like even what opened this album up more was i went to see a band open for snow Ellen and they covered head in the ceiling fan i was like oh yeah the song is really good um and as a first single i could see why they they picked that out and i love that power move similar to like what regulate through this year with hair which is like we're gonna kind of throw people off and if that pisses you off well fuck you Exactly. If you're not rocking with us 100%, we don't fucking need you. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and it's like so quick, like a year in between records is mm-hmm. like also yeah. a power move in itself. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I feel like um, they shed feels like so cohesive as a full record. Like it was like written to kind of close a part of Title Fight's book. Um, and what distinguishes, uh, floral green, uh, in terms of how it was written as an album, I think is, uh, what Jim and Hugo have talked about, uh, each song feels, uh, much more fine tuned and concise. Uh, for me, a large, a large part of what makes shed so appealing is its flow. Uh, what makes floral green so appealing is that, uh, the entire track list could be a greatest hits record. Um, And like the head in the ceiling fan, uh, I mean, was was it uh, to some people, maybe a controversial choice for a lead single? I mean, maybe, but I also specifically remember that it kind of uh, really elevated them uh, popularity wise, like people who I had like, you know, uh, I mean, I'm I'm touching on a lot of the things that that Jim did, but people who had never talked to me about anything even sort of like Title Fight were now aware of Title Fight. Um, it sort of put them into uh, I feel like where Turnstile was a couple years ago uh, to draw that comparison. Um, I maybe we could talk about this later, but I think that Title Fight uh, was about to be where turnstile is about to be um right before they uh kind of stopped um and a large part a large part of uh what drove that momentum was floral green uh numb but i still feel it obviously is such a hit um fucking i the lefty calloused run that you were talking about yes uh phenomenal um and I feel like I, f- I think make you cry is uh, make you cry and secret society are like the two most underrated uh, title fight songs. I think um, but... secret society is so fucking good. And that was a song that like didn't initially um, necessarily grab me by the boo-boo and the I... bass in that song is fucking unreal. I yeah. love it. It's just that, I mean, that that song is the biggest distillation of, like, this album's value prop, which is it's an album to fucking pogo and stage dive to, right? Like, this this record is all the same elements that exist on this record um, as far as, like, rhythmic, danceable stuff is the same stuff that has existed in Spades on the latest two Drug Church releases that has made them such a popular mm-hmm. Yeah, straight mm-hmm. up. 
is just the beat that you can it's whatever bpm that fucking like all the goddamn banger songs on this record are it's just the perfect bpm to just fucking jump up and down to and if you're talking about this music as like a you know a vehicle for um for crowd engagement which is sure as fuck is uh if you're anywhere in the adjacency to hardcore uh then writing having a formula for writing songs that do that to people is a really really good thing and it's arguably the best thing it's arguably better than writing good mosh parts because normal ass civilian people can relate to parts to pogo too hell yeah anything else about floral green before we get fucking weird with it um kyle so yeah yeah, so i i don't think i listened to this album when it came out and i don't even remember like why i i know i wasn't really into like punk or emo around 2012 for whatever reason but i just remember like checking in and being like okay this album is gigantic um and like definitely was noticing the whole uh civilians getting into title fight thing um civilians (laughs) but like um yeah I, I guess I'd want to use my time about the record to to like ask the question that I posed in the chat like a week ago, which is like, is it a Spotify thing that has made the slow burner title fight songs like their most popular songs or are they actually genuinely the most popular title fight songs? And these are like definitely like head in the ceiling fan has like 16 million Spotify plays uh the second highest is murder your memory the third is safe in your skin um and these are all like slow songs for title fight yeah i i think it's a tiktok thing maybe yeah i don't know that's like my go-to explanation because like during title fights period as an active band when you went to see them live i mean the slow songs were well loved, but yes. they they uh, were well loved because they served as a as a as a welcome respite between the chaos of that 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 the chaos that ensued uh, whenever they played their bangers, which is at at this point seventy five to eighty percent of their discography was still like straightforward bangers, right. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it makes sense that Head in, Head in the Ceiling Fan would be, like, a top five song on Spotify, but, like, Safe in Your Skin, like, I'm not calling Yeah, that, like, that's, a, like, that's odd. That That's not, like, a throwaway track or anything, uh, but it's just, like, I think there's some, like, algorithm thing that has, like, shoved these, like, slower, less remarkable songs, uh, and it's just, like, a weird representation for Title Flight, because, like, I only know them as, like, this aggressively over the top like aggressive like pop punk band basically um you guys want to hear my conjecture on this uh is that i think that title fight for so many people in gen z um so many of the youths um maybe people who never got a chance to see title fight live title fight is uh turnover with a crew neck sweatshirt on right (laughs) um the same people who are pumping up the numbers on these uh slower title fight songs on streaming 
are people whose entire personality is turnover peripheral vision and citizen youth um tum- post tumbler uh yeah uh, colored hair baddies of various stripes like that's just that's just gonna that's that's what i'm getting from the my my armchair ethnography of the way fucking the youths consume music uh that this that might be a thing this aesthetic era of title fight the aesthetic that they leaned into was so uh so much vhs and like like vhs camcorder music videos yep. and 90s sort of uh nostalgia kind of appealing like like their their appeal at that at that time to i think a lot of younger people was that they represented sort of this return to a halcyon days of the 90s that uh yep. we as kids born in 96 never actually knew um yeah. and i think that the gen z uh sort of fan base of title fight is literally actively going through another version of that uh yep. sort of this reclamation of the 90s as uh, the last the last time that i didn't feel like the world was in collapse um so that sort of grainy VHS uh, hum and failure influence uh, sort of sensation, uh, like 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 it's literally almost like a physical sensation watching like the music video for Twenty Seven, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, so what? It feels very warm and comforting, like a blanket. Yeah. So <laughs> one thing that I also wanted to bring up is like. I think title fight and maybe it was like newfound glory or someone else, but like, I think title fight kind of started the variant collector craze. Yes. That's a, that's, that's, that's a good point. That's an excellent point. Cause yeah. I remember like, it's got, I mean, like, I think like Ned was like the first person who I saw, like, going into interviews and being like and like showing off his like record collection and stuff like that and um yeah and yeah i think title fight was one of the first bands that people were like that i saw people like posting like pictures of like 17 copies of the seven inch and be like hey i still need the this is hardcore version does anyone have one um and Another thing that stuck out around this time was the whole we get it, you listen to title fight meme. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because that was all because that all started pre uh hyperview. Um Good. Well, so like the thing about it is that they were like they were like a decade ahead of the fucking curve in terms of like putting fa- and again, this is something we've just been dancing around, like putting fashion and consumption stuff. Uh, yes, I, the variant thing now massively popular, right? Like it's like the coolest thing to dress like fucking Jerry Seinfeld now. Um, <laughs> yes, and and and, and Title Fight were the ones that first started doing that a decade ago. But also, it, d- yeah. it didn't. It didn't seem like they tried to do it. Oh, they didn't at all. They just did it, and that's why it was yeah. fucking compelling. That's why it was sincere. There were like the like to this might seem like an odd comparison, but uh, they in terms of that combination of uh, fashion forward thinking and hardcore influence and uh, sort of steeped in the VHS filter 90s vibe, uh, they really remind me of the Beastie Boys. 
a hundred fucking percent. And I mean, Title Fight and Beastie Boys are my two favorite bands. So right there, right there. That, that explains so much about you. Holy shit. It's the most <laughs> like, yeah, I just told on myself for, for the rest of ever. Yeah. So Jim core. Yeah, 100%. Um, I will walk back before someone on like with like face tattoos like beats me up. But like, I don't think Title Fight were the first band to inspire variant collecting. But I think in a mainstream ish way like in or more like in a pop punk type of way i think yes that became yeah like the band yeah yeah that's absolutely i mean i think that ned i from from where i sit ned's run for cover record shopping video was a massive cultural moment yeah (laughs) um because that made that that made the entire fucking record shopping videos for core kids thing a reality and yeah. then I became a bonanza. And then Ned also did a fucking amoeba video, which was fucking gigantic. So there yeah. was one where he's showing where they're they're literally in his house and he's like pulling out records and like t-shirts. Oh, wait, and like t-shirt, like vintage, not vintage, but like wearing like a 90s youth to today t-shirt type of yeah. shit. I I've seen every I definitely know what you're talking about. I mean, I've yeah. watched every Ned Russin YouTube fucking interview ever because I'm an absolute lunatic. So yeah. <laughs> Spring Songs 2013, Rev. Um again with Will Yip. Uh all of these records have done been done with Will Yip in some capacity. Um, he and Walter shared duties on uh Shed, but the they started getting funky and fun with process stuff on this uh, record. And it's four songs, very concise, really stripped down version of the sound. And one of the things that that's a symptom of is the fact that this album got done live to tape, which I think is incredibly impressive. Like I, if you listen to this record and then go back and, tell yourself oh these motherfuckers did this live to tape if you've ever recorded music in a band you know how insanely good you have to be at what you do to do that um and how insanely good your producer has to be and and they have this really great idyllic um intimate relationship with will yip by this point because they've worked with him a ton and it's i think that that's really cool this record fucking knocked my socks off it came out like right when I started grad school. Uh, it was newly in Chicago. It was a really fucked up polar vortex winter, um, and it was just again like the like the prior two records. It just hit at the exact right time for me. Um, I remember riding through the frozen tundra of the Midwest on a uh, on a mega bus, listening to this EP. Um, in on a lot of days, this is my favorite title fight material, which I know is a crazy take, but Jeremy Stith from Fury agrees with me on it. So uh, there, there are, there are many, if, if there's anything that takes a close second to floral green for me, it's definitely this collection of songs. Um, I, partic- I particularly think that hypnotize is like my third favorite song in their whole catalog. I don't know. Yeah. You know, That's what's what crazy about it is that when I was listening to this yesterday, I was thinking like, yeah, this could be a favorite title fight record. Couldn't it mm-hmm. like be a toy? I think is the, is, is the hit. Um, it I mean, is all, all four of these songs are great, but be a toy it rules. Um, what I 
think is interesting about this record is that everyone talks about like oh this is the moment where they like really leaned into shoegaze and dream pop no. um and may and maybe that's true maybe but when i was listening to the cp to the cp i was like oh this is a goth record yes <laughs> yeah yeah it sounds like the cure <laughs> like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's some like brit poppy like yes, ideas definitely. for sure yeah um i mean like it's definitely a bridge to hyperview in some ways just because the timeline syncs up but it's not like like it's it seems so much more specific than that like it's like it's rare that bridges are this layered right right um but yeah like i think i think the huge charm of this set of songs is like people often skip it or like don't realize it's there and it's like all good so it's just like this treat that you remember about all the time um but like yeah like it's such a strong set of songs um it's funny that rev put it out too yeah i fucking love that it's on rev uh receiving line is a slow core song like Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. receiving lines a fucking duster song um that's the crazy thing is that like they go places especially with like be a toy and receiving line like they go places on this record that they didn't go <laughs> really sonically at yeah. any other point in their catalog and i think it's fucking cool it's like it's such a the bookends on this record are just just sound like floral green songs with less polish but then the shank of the record the middle two songs are like so fucking unique and zany and almost doesn't feel like title fight in a weird way yeah does so one thing that i wanted to bring up which is something that i keep saying but um like i guess like the division between like jamie and ned writing songs like i don't know anything about that what is it i mean i think that it's just that jamie writes the jamie songs and ned writes the ned songs I think it's is like, that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. like in any other post hardcore outfit, right? Like, like, like you get an alkaline trio or in Lawrence arms or hot water music. Like, um, I think it's just really simple separation of concerns. I don't think that there's much to it. Um, yeah. yeah. Ellie, do you have uh, insight? You have, uh, no, not on the specific thing. Um, that was because I wanted to check something that I wanted to bring up. This is the title fight release that got a pitchfork review. Yeah. No. Oh. Um, which I think uh, yeah, it was seven point two from Ian Cohen, uh, and I'm sure that this was still during the era when they were like pushing to like cut his scores down by a point. Um, but I think that sort of like lend it, it lended uh, legitimacy to title fight in to. A sort, a different sort of broad audience than the one that they started to break out to with Floral Green, um, and I think this is uh, w- this is where Title Fight sort of uh, became acceptable uh, for more quote unquote intellectual music fans uh, to dip mm-hmm. to dip their their toes into, um, and which is weird because I feel like. Hyperview, for as much as it takes influence from that sort of stuff, uh, is not that. It, it's not that. Um, it's not intellectual and detached like that. Um, 
but uh Sp- spring songs i i think just continues to be a very underrated uh piece of of title fight history it's super interesting that that's the their first pitchfork review i could have sworn it was floral green but um i think that sort of like that that, that's sort of representative of the of the of the level of ambition that they were hitting both in terms of songwriting and in terms of the the audience they were wanting to reach also title fight got dropped after floral green from side one dummy that's crazy isn't it well why'd they get dropped didn't sell records that doesn't seem right to me wow uh, there's an interviewer ned says it i think there's like a I mean, five-year anniversary interview with about hyperview and he says yeah I, I don't want to air it out there, but like we got dropped. So, uh, wh- how how many records was Side One Dummy wanting to sell? Because I don't think any of their acts like reached that threshold. I mean, yeah, especially at and that then time. they and then they went to fucking anti, which is yeah, epitaph, which is yeah, which, which is, is like almost a little major. step up, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I I don't know. I I don't. I feel like knowing what I know about the industry and knowing what I know about you know the rise and fall of side one, um, there probably weren't the soundest institutional decisions behind that. But mm-hmm. maybe yeah. That's. I don't think that that's like tea. I don't think that that's fucking tales out of school. That like side one dummy was a pretty fucking dog shit managed label. Like I yeah. think that was one of the first e word episodes we ever did was just talking about side one dummy collapsing and how much it screwed over a lot of people. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we're deep in the lore bag with that one, man. <laughs> Fucking sick. Um, anything else? Hugo, you got any shit about fucking spring songs, man? Not, not, not really. To be, to be honest, I guess I remembered it, I think, being more in the hyperview bag, but it's not really. At least my memory was was a little was a little off. Um, but yeah, it's it's a cool little collection collection of songs. Um, and yeah, it's definitely like in its own lane. Like it is kind of a bridge, but it also isn't. Um, yeah, I yeah, it's uh, it's cool, and it's definitely like cool that it's on rev because like obviously like title fight owes a lot to that label and that and specifically like their more emo leaning stuff that came out on rev yeah Mm -hmm. exactly like it's very much a a completion of the arc and a sort of full circle moment the one thing that i will say that i think is super duper cool is that they put this record out in in the fall of 2013 um in 2013 was the bonanza year for tumblr gays right like it was, mm-hmm. it was the bonanza year for every every fucking goddamn band every tom dick and harry ass motherfucking band um w- that had ever you know i, I don't i don't know uh, every, every band in that ilk um tried to make a record that sounded like floral green some very successfully a shocking amount very successfully um super heaven jar one of the best fucking records ever made. Citizen Youth, one of the best fucking records ever made. Um, mm. I mean... Did you say Basement? Basement, yeah. Color Me in Kindness, 
Absolutely, right? Like, uh, I was a I was about to bring up uh, balance and composure, but I think separation actually came out in twenty eleven. Yeah, separation is uh, yeah. their record. Yeah, I mean, like, punch. yeah, things we think we're missing is a valiant follow up effort, but it was a tracks record, and separation was like a cover to cover guy. So, Se- uh, separation, and I can't say this. Uh, I like I can't stress this enough. I mean this in a good way. Separation sounds like it came out in 1996. Yeah, it fucking, oh, yeah. It fucking yeah. does. It's fantastic in that regard. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go listen to Separation after this right now. Uh, I think. Um, yeah, but no. So 2013 was that bonanza year. Everybody fucking tried to make a goddamn floral green, and then title fight end of the year just comes out with this one and is like, hey motherfuckers, it's still our game. And I think that was really cool. Like it was a really cool flex for them to just do something that was like different enough to still just set themselves apart. I don't know. That's how I read it at the time. It's really great. I I mean, I feel like all of us always knew this, but uh, just I find like having like a, a full scale, everyone agrees acknowledgement that title fight were thought leaders uh, for a solid seven years straight during this yeah. era. It's it's true. It's they were they were the fucking thought leaders. They were running the table. They were the the fucking title fight. Title fight said jump, and everybody else asked how high. Hyperview, twenty fifteen, um, anti records. A a imprint of Epitaph. Uh, again, what we talked about with Floral Green having been a sales flop from the whatever metrics side one was using and, you know, uh, title fight getting dropped from that label. Super, super fascinating piece of lore there. But at any rate, in 2015, or actually in 2014, technically, uh, title fight went back to Will Yip and recorded their third LP, uh, Hyperview, and... The story has it, according to a recent interview that I heard with Will Yip, that they had an entire record written going in. And they started working on it in the studio with Will. And they realized, this is just Floral Green Part 2. So they scrapped the entire record and then wrote the entire Hyperview record in the studio with Will Yip in 2014. Um, that I think is a really interesting piece of lore about this record, because when this record dropped in 2015, at the beginning of the year, it was really divisive. Like people in, in my circles, which granted, you know, are pretty old headed in the grander scheme of like title fight enjoyers. Um, people were pretty upset. Um, I liked it. I really, really did because I've always liked um, the sort of Mac DeMarco, Alex G side of indie rock. And I've also liked shoegaze and a lot of the places where title fight goes on this record are sort of the intersection of those two things to my ears. Um, and I do feel like this record has gotten, especially as title fight has, you know, faded off into the background, this record has gotten heavily retconned and is, you know, from a numbers on streaming perspective, a fan favorite, Mm-hmm. And people really like it. Uh, how do you guys? How do you guys feel about this very interesting and divisive record, Ellie? We're going to start with you. Uh, yeah, I 
I wouldn't categorize myself as like a, a Mac DeMarco or Alex G fan. I do like car seat headrest, who I think yeah. kind of slot into that uh, sort of thing. Um, and I say that, and I promise I'm not a furry. Uh, but, hey, you know, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> um, Hyperview, I I remember being like really because the first single, if I recall correctly, uh, they premiered in Vogue magazine. Uh, either either Vogue or Variety, one of like the big V magazines. Yep. Um, and I think the first single was Rose of Sharon. Yeah. Uh, yep. Which is, uh, it's actually like one of the more upbeat uh, numbers on that record. Um, and I, I, I heard it and I was like, oh, so they're just going to do a whole record of like Head in the Ceiling fan. And that's fine. Um, I, I do remember feeling like, um, oh, they're just going to like lean, lean full into, uh, being like Nintendo 64 core, um, like extremely 1997. Um, but it really works for them because, uh, they're, they're pulling from like, influences that they are young enough to have consumed organically but not so old that they're jaded about them yes um, it's a really good point yeah and and so it comes it comes off as just like this really unique sort of re-articulation of those sonic ideas within the context of uh mid 2000s hardcore kids um and yeah there's great there's great songs on this record i think uh Marac, is uh one of one of my favorite songs on this yeah. record. Yeah, um, I, I I would I would have to uh, agree. Which uh, fun fact? The way to say the name of that song actually is charm. Is backwards charm. Backwards charm. Yeah, but that's that's me. Just that's only because I saw them play it live, and Jamie was like, "This song is called Backwards Charm," and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> cool." So yeah, as I you were. That I I don't think that I saw them live post Hyperview. Yeah, um, the I, only time I saw them live, I very, I very memorably saw them uh, with the hotelier and crying at the Metro uh, off of off of Hyperview. That's the, that's a nutso show. Yeah, no <laughs> fucking show. That I believe was the last time I saw them. They played a, they played at a. Fun fact about Title Fight is they played a fucking show in Toledo in 2017 i think it was with citizen at a place called spaghetti warehouse that rules that just recently closed um all right it's, it's the funniest fucking sh- show that's ever happened i was not there for it because i i was only in toledo like twice in 2017 but uh, again um, wasn't their final show that they played like in ohio or something like that i think one of yeah i think one of them I think one, I think it was somewhere in Ohio. Yeah. It yeah. was definitely not in Toledo, but yeah. Um, so as you were, sorry, tangents. I, no, now I'm just like thinking about crying. Um, who on that tour, they brought, that was like post the release of Get Old Second Wind, but uh, prior to like their actual like proper record. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember like 
20, like early 2015, like around the time Hyperview came out, I was like listening to the, the song open by crying, like literally on repeat. Um, because I never heard like a band combine chip tune and emo like that before. Um, yeah, it's fucking cool. And I feel like that band really, that band was a little bit, they're ahead of their, they were ahead of their time. They were mega ahead of their time. Like I I think, think I feel crying into if they had started in 2020 would be incredibly massive a couple of years later you know like uh Anamanaguchi, who were like you know the og chip tuners they put out a record called endless fantasy that sounded like if like maybe it wasn't like influenced by crying i think one of the Anamanaguchi dudes is in a screamo band though uh so they probably are into crying um yeah it's called and its name was epion um sorry i'm dropping mad lore uh, no i but... i th- there's one more little tangent while we're on the topic of like chiptune sh- emo shoegaze intersection um have you listened to full body too i have not okay so they're they're a fucking shoegaze band uh, out of rochester new york who are pretty big i think they have like forty thousand monthly listeners which is not okay. Um, and they're apparently like the kings of Western New York DIY, and they do like chiptune shoegaze. That Pretty fucking good. rules. Yeah, yeah. I like started. I like became aware of them in 2020 because of a shit post that they made that like went mega viral. Something about American football, uh, and it was yeah. Anyway, back to back to title fight. Back to fucking hyperview. Um, yeah, as you were. Oh, I'm done. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, how about how about you, Kyle? Um, yeah, I remember like really following this release closely because I was like, oh shit, they're making a move. And then I remember my biggest takeaway was like, this sounds like a brave record. Um, but like, I feel like now it's like doesn't seem like that brave. Like it seems like they just fully committed to something that they were on the way towards in a way. Um, but yeah, I've. I love the record. Um, and I think listening to it now, I was sort of like, I don't know if I'd really love this record if there wasn't like, like, like screaming on it a lot of the time. Cause like, it would seem a little boneless if it was just like clean vocals and stuff like that. But like title fight coming at this like genre or like, Title Fight's take on the genre, like playing it, it with title fight aggression and like attack is what makes it, I think, so remarkable. Yeah. The album is fucking the album is work or right. Like it is, it isn't it's it's them sort of buying it's, into buying into the sound that were was sort of the the top of the mountain band of the problematic war. Exactly. <laughs> um I always like to say like Hyperview is a good album for people who like were and Mac DeMarco, but don't want to like get canceled for listening to either of those artists. Uh, so yeah, I, I I don't hear the Mac DeMarco thing that I, that much. I don't I don't hear it at all, really, except for in like the how jangly the guitars get, the jangly yeah. the jangly sort of uh, warbling, almost sickening uh, guitar like. Uh, I, stuff is is kind of reminiscent of Mac DeMarco for me, but that's, I, that's about where it starts and ends. I think I've talked about this before, but um, 
I have a friend who just really thinks that I look like Mac DeMarco um, and had me saved as Mac DeMarco in her phone for like years. Um, and so I can't listen to that man's music uh, in good faith. Your uh, <laughs> your your uh, leaps and bounds better looking than Mac DeMarco. <laughs> there's, there's, one, there's one thing. Um, you don't look like a human cigarette the way Mac DeMarco yeah. does. Yeah, the one... Well, I mean, I was deep in my in my cigarette era when that was uh, when that comparison was being made. The one Mac, like the only Mac DeMarco song I think I've like listened to more than once on purpose is uh, his AV undercover of the sweater song. Yeah, because um, like like the weird fake like gobbledygook language that they do at the beginning is like really funny. Yeah, it sure is. His band was like a bunch of characters. And now yeah. they're all sort of like no one um uh, so the only time i saw a title fight was a really lit show it was title fight like maybe like half a it was, i think it was like a year after title or after hyperview came out and it was uh title fight headlining direct support was alex g right after beach music came out and then cloak room was like local support it was in dekalb illinois so sick. that bill makes like a lot of sense yeah <laughs> like it really does that's very that's that's the only thing that could make that like more decalb is if weekend nachos are on that show exactly yeah weekend yeah. nachos are for some reason charles bronson <laughs> yeah you uh weekend nachos is just fucking charles bronson 2.0 i always thought oh 100 that's like they're they're exactly in that lineage they're just charles bronson for people who uh you know, we're, I don't we're know. born in the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, maybe don't, maybe aren't like on a, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't have proper invective about, I don't have proper like funny invective about Charles Bronson fans. Cause I don't, I don't know. I don't know a single Charles Bronson proper fan. Because uh, you're not like I'm, 45 years old. Yeah. No, I'm a huge Charles Bronson fan. It's just like weekend nachos is yeah. Charles Bronson for people who were born when Charles Bronson was making records. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, um, that's all that's, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 perfect. Um, yeah, Charles Bronson's great. Um, I will always like the jock version of anything better because I'm a jock. That's that's pretty much what I'm at. So I love Weekend Nachos. Do you guys have One Life Crew records? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh yeah fucking that's awesome. Hugo, uh, review for you. Um, I've avoided this record just because Hell yeah, I'm, gen I'm generally uninterested in like the, the hardcore dudes doing, I don't know, like the soft grunge or generally alt stuff. I think it's at least lately has just become really watered down and like, it's just, so like I, I went into this thinking I was going to hate it, but I liked it. Um, and I think it's like what Kyle was saying, that there's still some of that aggression and songwriting from Floral Green. That's like, it's not like totally like the earlier title fight isn't washed away. And I think it's similar to the Blink episode, a, a good completion of an arc where it's like the 2003 demo is 13 year olds playing pop punk. And eventually those 13 year old dudes playing pop punk discover hum or other or just other indie 
and want to start making stuff like that when they're in their mid twenties. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, seeing what happens in the hereafter and seeing how, you know, Ned's desire paths led him to, you know, doing something like glitterer is, is very indicative of, you know, where title fight might have gone if they had continued. Right. Like I think that, yeah, it's, it's just the natural progression. And I think one of the things that as Kyle, you said, like does seem pretty brave is them being a band that had already navigated a lot of sonic space, but in a pretty tight set of parameters uh, and then just continuing to, you know, recognize, recognize themselves as this, you know, Overton window operating and agenda setting force and continuing to just move uh, in the direction of like where they wanted to go sonically. I also just can't help but think that this, this record is as much of a Will Yip record as it is a title fight record for as much as Will Yip sees himself in the role of not being an auteur, but as a facilitator, like there are certain yeah. things that William makes happen um, for bands when he has any sort of, you know, command of the reins in a studio. And there are certain auteurish things that he does. And I do think that you, um, given, you know, the rest of his body of work, you do definitely see his fingerprints all over this in a way that you do not see on, on prior records. And that yeah. has to have something to do with the fact that they wrote the album in the studio. And this album was like a huge critical success too yeah 100 people fucking loved it people ate it up with a fucking spoon and rightfully yeah. so yeah because what is what is often the least resonant with like with you know true heads uh is the most resonant with the critical community yes. not always but sometimes certainly 7.6 on pitchfork i just yeah. looked it up because yeah. i couldn't remember there's there's some bands i'm trying to think of bands where like it lines up um off the top of my head the only one i can think of is the blood brothers um where i feel like their their most critically acclaimed records are also the fan favorites yeah but, i mean it's too early to say but i think like the soglo record is their best and also yeah. like like a universal like one of the best albums of the year yeah yeah hard to agree i think um, uh, i think fucking there was a there was a publication that like pretty recently like named it like number one um, is a consequence of sound brooklyn vegan brooklyn had it number had it one i think consequence of sound might have also yeah i mean there's that there are definitely reasons why that record should be uh that high on lists it's certainly one of the most interesting things that's come out this year yeah. It's certainly one of the most like agenda setting things that's come out this year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do think that it has a lot in, co in common with, I feel like anytime an aggressive band really breaks out into the, into mainstream uh, acclaim, there is something very visceral and primal about it. Um, which is interesting that we're, that we're talking about that in the context of title fight, because I feel like one of the reasons that title fight, might have been you know on their way to some sort of higher level commercial success when they decided to sort of truncate their own story was because it is you know this very stage divey primal fun aggressive music 
that is increasingly couched in the language and like the easily accessible language of indie rock. And so I think that there's like something to that. I don't know. But post hyperview, I feel like title fight was, and I, I'm not, I don't have the numbers in my head to back this up, nor am I, you know, not lazy enough to like look at, look at it this, but like, I feel like they toured a fucking lot after hyperview. I feel like they, they felt to me as somebody who was aggressively going to shows in 2015 and 2016, I was going to four or five shows a month. I was going to do a lot of fucking shows. It was like peak shows for me. And it got to the point where I felt like title fight was almost overexposed. Like, I feel like they almost had like a Bane motion city moment where they were playing so fucking much that like people almost stopped caring a little bit. That could have been subjective. I don't know. Um, but at any rate, they, if I feel like in the years between them putting out Hyperview and them really, really like downsizing things, they, they played quite a bit. Um, Ellie, I forget. You might have even said this on Tuesday, but did, did you ever get a chance to see Title Fight? Yeah, I saw, I saw Title Fight um, a couple times. Um, but all prior to Hyperview, which is odd because when Hyperview came out, I was living in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and they played like a couple really good chicago shows like they did i was at i was at all of them <laughs> so yeah um but yeah i i feel like uh because i've also watched a bunch of title fight sets like on youtube yeah. um i feel like they just i mean they were always a great live band but they seem to have like really sharpened themselves to a fine knife's edge after hyper you came out because like you said yeah. they were pouring like yeah to an absurd degree and they were always a workhorse band um like their work ethic as a touring band has always been or was always like um black flag-esque yeah um, i mean literally the first thing that they did out of high school was tour the yeah. world so yeah like straight up um but i think the combination of touring that much and also being as more popular than they'd ever been I think that combination is what brings you to a level of being like one of the best live bands. Um, Cause that, I mean, this is a, maybe an odd comparison to make, but I think that's uh, the exact same thing that happened with green day. I think that's what made, that, like, turned green day into one of like the best live bands uh, in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, just, just absolutely formidable, <laughs> absolutely formidable stage presence. Yeah, oh. and I'm sick of it all. Another really great example from sort of our world of things, like they are the world's best live band because they play live more than anybody. Like they're on the fucking road, at least for, there was a long period of time where they were on the road fucking constantly all over the world. Yeah. My favorite live bands are Touche and Every Time I Die, but Sick of It All are obviously phenomenal live band. For me, it's Sick of It All and Comeback Kid and Touche and Every Time I Die are close to the top of that list too. Probably actually the top five is Sick of It All, Comeback Kid, Touche, Every Time I Die, um, and Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. yeah. One band I'm surprised we haven't brought up as like a point of comparison, just like from time period 
to also sort of like career trajectory is ceremony. Yes. Mm. Um, That's a really good point. Yeah. Because ceremony made a gradual change. They're the West Coast version. <laughs> yeah. But also, I think they got way more shit. Yeah. Overall, I just think it didn't work as well. But... Yeah. They got. I. I don't know that I agree with that. With that take, Hugo, I think. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. I I, it's, I I agree with Hugo. It's just taste wise, it doesn't. I don't think it. It just t- doesn't totally work for me. But I think if you compare Zoo to Floral Green and Hyperview to L Shaped Man, uh, no contest title fight wins. Uh, but the stuff that Ceremony has done since then, uh, I think, kind of sort of retroactively justifies their pivot. Um, but how much is their fan base from the beginning even still here? They still play they still play those shows or those yeah. songs. Yeah. Uh, and people lose their fucking minds. I there's a lot of people I think who are still still writing for I'm one of them. Uh, if yeah, uh that's fair. Yeah. I, I think mean, it's definitely fractured not like majority like have gone, but I think a lot of people I mean, like, and like ceremony's so self-aware that they make shirts that say, I miss the old ceremony. Yeah. Um, I think ceremony has aged more gracefully and retained more of a fan base than uh, a band like uh, Trash Talk, who mm-hmm. I think were yeah. probably the easiest band to compare to ceremony. Um, I also loved Trash Talk, like contemporaneously, but they stagnated sonically and idea wise um and ceremony crew i mean in the spirit world now is a great record yeah i i, I like that one at decent at decent and i think amount. the spice stuff is really good too yeah i i take the spice stuff over the new ceremony probably but that's just more in my lane um yeah it's just a matter of personal taste for the ceremony stuff it oh for I'll sure i'll shape man and zoo just don't totally work work for I mean, me like i zoo understand what they're i i understand what they were doing and trying to grow i just don't think it totally worked for me the, <laughs> sorry i i don't mean to like keep talking about ceremony it's just good. that like zoo is such a a bad idea of a record to make after making a record like Ronner park yes yeah real real fumble uh real fumble vibes uh i know that a lot of people like zoo myself included i don't like it as much as i'm it should be surprising to fucking nobody that violence violence is my ceremony record but i do like ronald park um i think i actually just like them in descending order if i'm being realistic across yeah i think Uh, my i'm tied ronald park and still nothing moves you yeah that's fucking super fair uh a, a statistic that I just looked up that made me shit fucking bricks. Um, somebody throw out a number. This is a thing they do on Extra Grind all the time. Somebody throw out a number. Um, how many monthly listeners do you think Ceremony has on fucking Spotify without looking, without cheating? Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh, three hundred thousand. Uh, I'm gonna say hundred k. Um, Kyle, you're way closer. Uh, Hugo, do you have any guess? Um, I'll go with 250. 86. Oh, wow. Um, now, title fight. What's what's people's guess? 500,000. 
300,000. I looked this up already, so I so um, I have this kind of memorized, so I won't say. 793,000. Okay, they're actually making money off of streaming. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, they're, that is, far, they're far bigger now than they ever were when they yeah, were. That's, that's, that's true, and that's what, that's what threw me for a loop, because I, I thought for sure that Ceremony was going to have more numbers than title fight but title fight just wipes the floor um that that makes a lot of sense to me because like i had said last time i feel like title fight was poised to be where turnstile is about to go and turnstile are already at the point where they're like them taking ceremony on tour was almost like putting ceremony on for like a whole new generation uh uh-huh it really it really did end up being um i don't know how i don't have any grasp on how well that caught i know that my Wes Resignation's then 15-year-old son enjoyed the shit out of Ceremony, but he sure as fuck didn't like them as much as Turnstile, and he sure as fuck didn't like them as much as Truth Cult, so. Well, Truth Cult are uh, unreal, so I guess. Absolutely. I I hope that band gets fucking gigantic next year. That band is insane. What, so you just have a fucking Swizz worship band that's fucking 20-year-old kids? Get the fuck out. That's crazy. I I really appreciate Gray Gordon for awareing me of that band. Yeah. Um, what was I What was I going to say? Uh, oh, I do think like sheer number of listens. Probably my most listened ceremony record is uh, the Ruin DP. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Um, man, I'm gonna listen to so much fucking ceremony after this. Uh, Good, good the Kyle coming in with like the most clutch comparison. <laughs> that I think that we've segued ourselves wonderfully into talking at the higher level, sort of wrapping up the loose ends and spitballing a little bit about the the broader cultural significance and cultural impact and legacy of title fight. Right. And I think that the biggest thing that we can uh that we can take away given the current day is that title fight could have been turnstile title mm-hmm. fight could have easily done if they had kept going if they had not very maturely decided that they'd run their course and decided to hang it up um i do think that they could have that they could be where turnstile is right now and maybe even beyond how do how do we how do we feel about that my hesitation is like turnstile is too fun and you want to be there to have fun and i can't see like such a dour but energetic band feel or like have that much mass appeal but i definitely would think that like title fight would be like the the torch bearing biggest hardcore band in 2022 real quick on that point how yeah. many monthly listeners on Spotify does a lot of spute have? I'm going to say 75. 75,000? Yeah, 75k. I'm going to say 150,000. I'm going to double that. Um, I'll go with 250 just for fun. Okay. Who wants to look it up? <laughs> I can. I can. I'll be the lookup guy. Let's see here. Holy fuck. 429. That is <laughs> That's nuts. crazy. But it makes sense because there's an entire fucking genre of person who listens to like 
nothing but fucking music that sounds like somebody trying to order at a drive-thru out of the fucking passenger seat. Yeah. It's like it's three entire... times as much as Touche. That's a crime. Yeah, I mean, I it's I mean it's really weird because uh, Touche are the more concise songwriters, right? Like Touche right. write like the more direct songs, the songs that you'd expect would uh, be more di- digestible. But right, but people love people love a maudlin and ponderous jam. Like that's that is I I know and love some of these people very dearly the people who go out of their way every single day of their lives to listen to music that is as ponderous and maudlin as humanly possible yeah. and lot dispute is the king shit of fuck mountain band yeah. in terms of making music that sounds like that yeah. yeah but more to my point is title fight has more than that and they are just as dour um yes. i mean but and then way, how many does way more have? fun but way more fun. How many does Turnstile have? Probably a million. Probably a million. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna guess one and a half million on my I'll end. I'll I'll look it up. So where are we at? We're at a million. Yeah, I'm the same one and a half million. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable with one million. Hugo, uh, I'll go with two. It's one million two hundred forty thousand. Yeah, I kind of win. No. Um, I think if Title Fight were still putting out records, they could hit that. Maybe yeah. not clear it, they could hit that. But here's the real question. There's there's so many, here's the thing, is there, we're in such an interesting spot. Being five years out from a band effectively calling it quits is such an interesting spot to be in because the nostalgia has magnified uh, the popularity, maybe not to the full extent it can, but there's also the question of like, the what ifs like what does a what does a post hyperview title fight lp even sound like do they go more in the indie rock direction or do they do like a return to form thing where they make something that sounds like the midpoint between shed and floral green do they make something that sounds like fucking if spring songs were an lp i don't know um there's so many hypotheticals and i do think that a thing that i think might have happened if they had stuck around is they catch the wave of this mainstream mall emo zeitgeist that I think really kind of peaked in 2020, but is still very much raging with things like when we were young fest and so on mm-hmm. um, this sort of like chuggy millennial, but also tent partied with like um, Gen Z for whom mall emo is classic rock. This sort of zeitgeist around mall emo. I think if title fight makes a record that dovetails with that, and sort of gets buoyed by that zeitgeist title fight gets above and beyond where turnstile is right now genuinely believe it because people fucking eat up the goddamn mall emo stuff with a fucking spoon like is, with a magnet spoon it is crazy how nuts people of all ages go for that shit is the crew net core defend pop punk scene about to become like the next like mall emo like that I think we're, I think we need a couple more years for that. PK on Axe to Grind this week actually said a really interesting thing. of like, there is nothing dustier that you can do right now than be hagiographic about the 2010s. Yeah. There, like, being nostalgic about the 2010s uh, is currently a dusty move. But I think, I do think 
that as people in your specific age demo, people in the actually the Ellie to Hugo age demo yeah. um, hit their 30s, we're getting, we're going to get a sort of post chuggy nostalgia mode about the Tumblr era of things in general. And I think that that's when the sort of, you know, defend pizza uh, zeitgeist might come back in a nostalgia mode kind of way. Yeah. I take. So does, does, does that mean that like, well, I think that's like confusing because like Knuckle Puck and like Real Friends are still making records and stuff like that. Right, but they're not making records that sound or feel anything like the stuff. That yeah, they, so like the idea like, is that they would go back to their roots and just play major play chords. Major chords. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what Knuckle Puck sounds like right now. I know Real Friends are making like All American Rejects albums. Yeah, they just sound like the main. Like they, yeah, yeah they're, they're in that same zone. One of those Water parks. sounds like the 1975, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, water parks sound like uh, like uh, like dog shit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Um, no, that's that's really good. The way that you delivered that, Ellie, was fucking priceless. <laughs> Losing my mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, let me re- let me let me rephrase. Uh, water parks sound exactly like you'd expect a band fronted by a man who spells Austin with a W to sound. Yeah. Yep. They 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 sound like uh they sound more like neon a neon color palette than any band in 2009 ever could have dreamed of. That's I mean, yeah. considering that Cash Cash like existed, that is that is saying something. Yeah. Yeah. Um quite quite saying something. Um I no, I I think that another really really interesting thing to, to talk about briefly uh, is there's a there's a distinction that Axe to Grind made this week between a good hardcore band versus a good band and yeah. sort of like how many good records and how many good songs do you have to have to qualify as a good hardcore band, which is a much more limited scope versus actually breaking through into being like a proper good band. Which I think to be, I think the, the the parameter that was established for being a good band is that Tom you Tom either, yeah, yeah, you either have to like have like multiple like banger tracks across multiple albums, or you have to have like two really good albums. And regardless of what metric you use, Title Fight knocks all that out of the park. And yeah. like Title Fight, by any reasonable measure, is a great band, not just a great hardcore band, but like a great band. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's beautiful because there aren't too many hardcore bands that do that. Because let's not get lost in the weeds here. Title Fight are a fucking hardcore band. I was going to say, Title Fight aren't even a fucking hardcore band and they're a hardcore band. Right. Title Fight are, Title Fight sonically have literally never been a hardcore band once in their lives. But culturally, they are the most yeah. hardcore band that has ever hardcore. I was going to say, I think probably the smallest, least noticeable thing, the like the the most insignificant impact that Title Fight had was for just a little bit of a moment, they gave like they 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 made Wilkes Bear hardcore like kind of popular. Um I like the 2014 Cold World record, how the gods chill was like the most popular Cold World record. Um I'm pretty sure like I mean, don't want to, you know, 
uh, but the the that that expire record that came out around the same time was was pretty huge. Um, yep. And uh, that's probably got to be like the most un like unnoticeable thing that Title Fight did. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they really put, and I mean, they they left that legacy right to where now I'm not. One step closer are a hundred percent popular on their own merits, right? Because they work hard and they're good and they're nice people. But the thing that does give them, I think, a little bit of a booster shot is not only the fact that they're from Wilkes-Barre, but how hard they fly that flag. Yeah. And I do think it's great that a place, I think it's very of of hardcore and a very dope thing that hardcore does is that it creates these just wellsprings of culture and lore around these relatively marginal locales. Like, and ultimately like a place, a place like Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania can wind up having just as, or as comparable of an impact on hardcore as someplace like New York or Boston. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, like New Brunswick. I think that's a big thing with like Knocked Loose and like Oldham. Like there's people yeah. from Wisconsin buying merch that just says Oldham County. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so crazy. <laughs> like that's the that's the craziest version of it for sure is like yeah. not just putting on for like their chicken shit rural county from kentucky that they're from like that rocks mm-hmm. that rocks so incredibly hard um no man i think that i think that there are all kinds of factors in play um but i think like a a cool thing to to end on is talking about like it's a really simple question and we're, we're not splitting the atom by asking it, but I feel like nobody has maybe asked it directly. How big of a room could title fight sell out if they got back together? Next for a year. reunion show or for like a tour? Are for we talking reunion, about like a half heart? For a single, a single show. Say, for a two night, for a two, two night show Ooh. on a weekend in somewhere let's say they do let's let's say they do exactly what have heart did where they do something on the east coast something on the west coast two nights each what do we think because i'm thinking that they could like i legit think that like title fight could do numbers in like madison square garden that yeah that was the that was the benchmark isn't it like that that was like where i was gonna go or like fucking radio city yeah radio city let's split the difference and say fucking radio city right like um that i think that title fight could do that and the reason is because obviously nostalgia factors in right the fact that they have made themselves almost deliberately elusive by you know going away pretty quickly and quietly and sending out these strong signals that hey we might never fucking get back together um they've created this mystique around themselves that makes me think that were they to were they to get back together they could do some serious numbers and i think that given the popularity that they've amassed since breaking up among all kinds of people who aren't even core people necessarily um plus the fact that turnstile by doing what they've done, alienated a certain number of hardcore old heads. 
certain stripe of hardcore people doesn't like turnstile anymore because they've gotten too adventurous with their sound. It's people who are in the purest wing of hardcore of various stripes aren't as into turnstile as they were, if they ever were to begin with. Um, a lot of people didn't rock with turnstile once they made nonstop feeling um, for similar reasons. I didn't ever see that same level of drop off with title fight among the hardcore community. How many of those, how many of those people who turned their back on turnstile do you think would come back if uh, they got Taco Bell to bring back the loaded potato griller? I mean, it's a valid fucking point. It's a valid fucking point. I think that that people would come back around. I think that that's, that's a significant question that I would have never even thought to ask. And that's why you're, you're the cultural Oracle that you are Ellie. So, uh, yeah, no, um, I think it, I think that title fight could easily pretty quickly or pretty close to sell out a very large venue in a major city if they got back together next year. And I don't think I'm splitting the atom or reinventing the wheel by saying that. Yeah, I'd say if 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 it was another five years, like if we're holding out for like a 10 year reunion or something like that, and we're just going to go the have heart route and like use have hearts reunion in Boston as like the metric. Yeah, I think. If five years from now, I think they could do one and a half times a have heart reunion. And I think like that would be the way to do it is to do it like an outdoor thing like there's I don't know. At, at that point you're just playing like shed amphitheaters yeah because because you would have to have something where stage diving is possible yes. otherwise like like an msg or radio city would be a non-starter because a title fight reunion would have to have stage dives like yeah. there's no fucking question yeah for some reason like where my brain went was like big day out yeah 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 um, perfect that's no, I think that, yeah, Kyle, that, that number you hit is exactly what my, where my head was going. It's like roughly one and a half times as big as yeah. the half-heart reunions. Um, and it would be interesting, too, to see what happened culturally as the result of a, of a title fight reunion, because I think that it could cause a cultural groundswell that nobody is prepared for. Because there, Sam, Sam Triple B made a very, really, uh, a, had a really hot, sort of hot but definitely very interesting take which is the current renaissance and hardcore is partially attributable to that half heart reunions really yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. um and it'd be really interesting from to, to see i think the kind of effect the sort of renaissance effect and ripple effect that the that a that a title fire reunion could have like i don't know i'm getting I'm getting sentimental thinking about it, uh, but I also it would am... have a it would have a ripple effect in hardcore. Um, yeah, I would like to say that because of Title Fight having a much farther reach outside of hardcore than even Half Heart, who Half Heart for a long time were the hardcore band that non-hardcore kids like. Yeah, liked um, for sure. I think the ripple effect in hardcore will be big, but I you might unfortunately see like an even larger ripple effect of like bad 2014 era R emo bands. Yes, I think that that's and I, and I think it would also it it would also a hundred percent be like a tinderbox event for the revival of like Tumblr core because that'll fight were such a 
title fight were such a near neighbor to the Tumblr core stuff. Um, and I think that there are many people who aren't maybe aren't as steeped as we are to sort of see them in the exact same breath as like citizen and super heaven and stuff like yeah. that. Just and also untold and, countless bands who are like yeah. okay but what if hundredth made rare again yes fucking perfect perfect goddamn example um god what a that's a thought exercise go listen to rare by hundredth if you haven't but then Never but first listen, listen to let go by hundredth first and then yeah. listen to rare um is um, is anxious like the biggest or like the most successful title fight offspring band i think yeah. that they're about to be when I think jim, already, they're about to be when jim brought up one step closer the only thing i could think of was like how the first time i heard anxious i was like oh my god like i miss title fight so much yeah not in a bad way because no. anxious is phenomenal um but it was it was like unbelievable how how much they keyed into the feeling I yes. think that's what's important. I think that's the important distinction here. Not so much that they uh, crib from the sound or that they're like mining territory that title fight already stripped, uh, but that they key into the same feeling, mm-hmm. which is impressive. Yeah, and they're and they are wholesome twerpy kids wearing crewnecks. Yeah, um, much like title fight are right. Like that's the biggest thing is that anxious are a fucking crewneck core band. Like yeah, um, even yeah. if they don't the Finn McKenty uh, sonic definition of crew neck core to a T like their crew neck core because they wear crew necks and they carry that whole fucking, we get it. You listen to title fight aesthetic, which is, that's going to be the name of this episode, by the way, as we get it, you listen to title fight. So Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. are there any other bands that have come out that have been like, okay, they're, they're trying to do title fight. Cause I really can't <sighs> think of anyone that stuck. Like I might've seen just like shitty bands posted on YouTube or something like that, but you go um that's kind of that's kind of tough to think of i think there's bands where it's like it's like obvious that you're inspired by it but not directly cribbing i think that band strange joy that's been popping up lately has a little bit a little bit of last thing you forget but um but i don't yeah i'm i'm not sure if there's i think that spite a, house band from montreal has a lot oh, of oh yeah spite spite house for sure i have started a great example Florian era yeah for um, some reason though spite house always makes me think of sam i am that's it yeah they've got some sam i am i also think that like spite house sounds the most like the two citizen songs on the turnover split <laughs> than anything else from that era yeah a really important and ephemeral era of citizen uh, i think i think uh the one of the biggest like uh shock waves in the immediate aftermath of hyperview was like the sheer amount of bands who tried to make hyperview yeah. um yeah and yeah. just because you mentioned turnover and my immediate thought i think i compared the two last time as well but um peripheral vision is yeah. is boneless hyperview um yeah. Sure is extremely Ron Howard voice. Uh, it sure They're, is. I know that they were buddies like the entire time, but that balance oh, and composure sure. record, that one, the last one. Oh yeah, yeah. It wasn't really like aesthetically. It, it looks like it, and it's also on anti. Um, so I feel like it's hard to not think that that was is not it's 
impossible not to compare those records. But I think that 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 record is ass. A a, a current day band, um, a band that I'm actually really impressed by as as performers, as recording artists, and as people, uh, is a band out of Minneapolis called Spite House. No, not fucking Spite House. I said Spite House. I meant Prize Horse. Oh yeah. Prize. Wow. Um, they are the most capably done hyperview worship uh music i've heard this side of hyperview um i saw them a couple months back and was super fucking impressed there has and recently been like uh like within the last couple of years a group of bands who i think like you might not sonically compare the two much at first like for me the it's it, like i immediately jump more to comparing it to stuff like duster and horse jumper of love but yeah. Those group of that group of bands like a uh, clear body, yeah, and yeah. sort of that adjacent scene. Uh, it feels uh, very much like informed by a post hyperview landscape. Yeah, for like, sure. I don't know and that I, those bands exist without hyperview. And again, What's fucking slowcore is a is a genre that's needlessly massively popular. Like there is, Duster has an absolutely incomprehensible amount of fucking monthly listeners on spotify i was like Holy weird fuck. um because i feel like that wasn't the case until very recently that's a um, fact and it's even weirder this is like my favorite random duster fact is that they are uh ex screamo kids they're like ex moender that that doesn't surprise me in the slightest um no i just i think that there is and you can quote me on this. I do think that there among the youths is just an element of lobotomy culture. Uh, and I just think that people love listening to music that makes them feel as lobotomized as possible. And it's so like heroin it's, chic is back. Like exactly. Yeah. Lobotomy chic is the new heroin chic, yeah. right? Like um Teenage I, Wrist. That's the band I was trying to think of. Yep. Big. I mean big league. not to vibes. not to endorse uh the the <laughs> like lobotomizing yourself but thoughts are painful sometimes <laughs> no i want i want cdi consume to make me feel fucking lobotomized sometimes okay like and I, I so i can completely like see me i can see somebody who's not damaged enough to want music to challenge them all the time which is very much like the pill that hardcore kids are on uh to like want the sort of the next best thing which is i want music that just makes me feel like my brain doesn't exist like I just have an echoing canyon in my brain, in my head. And that's um, that's what the sort of post hyperview and plus one slow core culture has has gotten us towards. So I think that there are all kinds of futures in which a uh, in which title fight would have been comparably big as turnstile or bigger. And I do think that our thesis is correct that if title fight were to come back, it would be at least one and a half times the size an overall impact of a of a have heart reunion um i also think that they would be extremely weird about it too like yes they would they like it's interesting to see how turnstile is sort of handling it and they're sort of handling it by like kind of being like faceless about it like i i don't know like there's still mystery behind all their personalities except for franz really yeah um but i feel like title fight would just be extremely weird about 
being popular and making money and all the stuff. Yeah, I feel like Title Fate would like reach like Radiohead levels of weird pretty quickly about it, like which I think would be awesome. I I, I really want to see like the Title Fight Radiohead arc. Um, that's what yeah. that's what I think Title Fight would eventually sound like is sure. like OK Computer era Ben's era Radiohead. Yeah. yeah, I I I I think that that's my that has now become my preferred headcanon about what uh what I think Title Fight would have gone on to sound like but with screaming, which is important. Yeah. Yeah, they would have they would have made an album that sounds like the Benz but with screaming and that I think that fucking kicks ass. Um, that would, that be would be like, Imagine this the Radiohead song just with screaming, that would be the best song ever made. Yeah. And that and that's crazy too. That like adds a whole different factor to like what their hypothetical popularity would be because people love the Britpop dream pop stuff so much. Like holy fuck. Um if Title Fight just sounded like a it, just ended up sounding like radiohead meets oasis like get the fuck out of here like dude like yeah. hardcore kids merch like like uniform now is just wearing oversized oasis t-shirts yes which I, is, I would like you, to think that i was on that shit just a little <laughs> bit before well just it's, a because little bit. Your, it's because of your gray gordon adjacency because gray gordon was the first person doing oasis culture mm. yeah that's true that's true he was the primary progenitor of the entire fucking Britpop thing in hardcore. I think you can find hardcore. like a 2019 era tweet of mine where I just talk about wanting hardcore bands that sound like Champagne Supernova. Yes, I remember that. I, I believe it would, would have had to have been in 2020 because I knew you already. Um, but yeah. Um, what do we think? Have we have we beaten the dead horse? Have we uh, have we beaten the dead horse all the way into the ground? Um, are we good here? Do we want to say anything else? We've we've not we've we've not only beaten a dead horse. Um, I think we've parted a sea, and uh, title fight has been survived by us. Um, God, as we as we now enter stage four of the podcast, mother. Fucker. I do lament that we have to that we have to say goodbye, but fucking god. Um, <laughs> if you've gotten this far, thank you. Um, if you for some reason are listening to this episode and aren't familiar with Title Fight in any real capacity, go fix that. I'll never be fucking evangelical in my life or evangelical in my life about um, about a band that I like, but if there is any one band that I'm going to absolutely punish you about and shove down your throat, it's title fight. Um, it's insane that we get to share a part of the timeline with them and you'd be foolish not to fucking at least give them a try. Cause I do think that there's something in their catalog for basically everybody. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, what a future with or without title fight looks like especially if they decide to get back together in any capacity, which I do think is sort of inevitable uh, at some point. And I am just grateful that you guys have been with us. Uh, we are going to be drawing down the capacity of this podcast quite a bit. Um, it is, we're going to be, we've done a, a year of consistent output and uh, we want to make our output from here on out a little bit more purposeful uh, and intentional and so we're going to be putting out putting out stuff quarterly, uh, rough roughly give or take. Oftentimes, probably with a, ver a version of this peanut gallery. Um, but but in any case, like that's that's where we're at. So we thank you for sitting with us. Uh, we're excited to bring you more stuff on a more uh, 
isolated basis. Uh, Hugo, do you have anything? No, no. Um, I I enjoyed hearing everybody enthusiastically talk about a band I only have a little bit of a relationship with. It's cool. I always, I again, I have such a frame of reference problem that I always forget that everybody just isn't as punishingly into Title Flight as I am. Like they truly are my, they truly are my favorite band. I There's hope no... this inspires Hugo to like really deep dive, just like develop a special relationship with them. Yeah, like I like I already feel like only a week into last thing you forget, I could see myself returning to that stuff stuff a lot. And like I feel like I only started to uncover floral green and and stuff and like i've known shed but i think i've i think with shed i was a lot more of an a-side person i never really gave the b-side as much of a chance because i it's got a little bit more of the slower songs um but yeah it's that's why i like doing stuff like this it's like i i don't always have the attention span to do a whole discog dive so this is a good excuse to do it I do feel like knowing your taste in music, like I feel like this is a band that will burrow its way into your heart. Eventually. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that a closing remark on the significance of their discography um, and it sort of took doing this exercise and talking about it in this way to really like cement this for me for as much as I am like a floral green guy. Um, I think if there's any title fight output that belongs in the Smithsonian. It's definitely the last thing you forget material and everything that's on that, you know, compilation. Just because I think it's so representative of a very specific moment and vibe, then it ended up being so fucking pivotal to a lot of <laughs> what we ended up seeing over the course of the next decade and and, and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Um so in the uh you know, in hopes that Title Fight one day does end up in the Smithsonian, you can put yourself on the right side of history by becoming a Title Fight enjoyer. Uh, and we hope that this was enough of a survey class to get you uh, somewhat of a set of uh, sea legs in terms of approaching them. Uh, thank you for joining us again. Uh, we really appreciate it. We want you to get out there and enjoy culture as much as possible and be yourselves. So uh, signing off. Thank you to Kyle and Ellie uh, from the E-Word. Uh, we do we, we we know not yet uh what that future looks like but we're excited to find that out too um and we're excited it's to getting see, closer yeah it's getting closer big things coming uh, and <laughs> we're excited to see you guys whenever we see you too happy fucking new year because this is going to be dropping uh a couple days before new year um and we my mom just tried to call this this laptop oh, yeah. <laughs> amazing um yeah we we we've just been an honor sharing 2022 with you guys we really appreciate it and uh we hope you have a peaceful new year's and uh best wishes to you thanks again kyle and ellie thank you hugo for being on this journey with me excited to continue <laughs> thing we do and uh wish you guys the best peace thank and love you. thank you so much for having us on thanks guys thank you or encore all right I think we're recording, are we? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. To end things.
Favorite title fight, Drac. Around the horn. Let's go. Ellie, you go first. 27. Goes without saying. Kyle, how about you? It's between Symmetry, Kingston, and Shed. So I'll probably say Kingston. Word. You go. Hmm. This is this is tough. Recency bias has me wanting to say Neck Deep because I've just been banging that song a lot. Um, I was gonna say twenty seven, but I don't want to repeat. Um, you can say do... it as many times as you want. <laughs> um, let's go with none, but I still feel it. Fuck yeah. Um, might come as a shock to some, but I'm going to say Symmetry because it's the first title fight song I ever heard. And I think that it encapsulates title fight as a band and as an experience better than any song they've ever done, ever could. I think it's like a perfect vision of what title fight was and what title fight ended up meaning culturally. And it's a perfect encapsulation of Title Fight's triangular position between punk emo and hardcore, which is what this podcast is all about. So, yeah. Signing off. Peace and love. <laughs>